This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. to Primal Screen, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Flick Ford, and joining me in the virtual studio is Sally Christie. Hello, Flick. Hello. And Paul Anthony Nelson. Hello. Hello, hello. How are we both? Good. Good. (laughs) Went to the cinema this week and it was pretty weird. It was exciting. It was nice. Yeah, I went as well. I went last night. I've been twice now. And um, oh, three times now, and oh, wow. um, yeah, had a chuck top. It's pretty good. You're like old times. Yeah, <laughs> I, had, I, I had to make my return to the cinema a pilgrimage to the Astor. Uh, oh, that was a, mine actually. Last week, yeah, yeah. Mine got was a chuck top, <laughs> big uh, feature length glass of wine. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So here in Melbourne, of course, we're at uh, now 31 days of zero new COVID cases. And so cinemas have, of course, finally reopened. And so we're going to celebrate tonight with some hot new releases. We're going to open with Brandon Cronenberg's body snatching thriller Possessor. Then we'll have a little dance in our cinema seats to David Byrne's American Utopia, directed by Spike Lee. And finally, we'll dodge some backward moving bullets in Christopher Nolan's highly anticipated temporal mind bender, Tenet. Uh, but before we get stuck into these uh, fresh new releases, it's time for the news. Former bodybuilder and actor Dave Prowse has died aged 85. Prowse's first film was 1967's Casino Royale. He played Julian in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange and starred in several Hammer Horror films. Uh, He was also the personal trainer who prepared Christopher Reeve for the role of Superman in 1978. But it's his role as Darth Vader in Star Wars that made uh, that Dave Prowse was best known for. Um, Funnily enough, um, when Vader's face is finally revealed, um, they didn't. uh, George Lucas didn't actually choose Prowse. He um he got this other um I think it was Sebastian Shaw and um, this British British stage actor to play um the face of Darth Vader. He's um, like a anyway. combo of so many different people, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and and so many <laughs> iconic films from that time as well. Um, anyway, um, anyway, so in local news, uh, the Melbourne-made comedy drama How Do You Know Chris is launching this Thursday at Lido Cinemas. How Do You Know Chris is written by Zachary Perez, produced by Steve Jabalowski and produced and directed by Ashley Harris. It's filmed here in Melbourne um, and it's the first feature film from Yoni Piffin Productions and features a stellar cast of emerging Australian stars, including Luke Cook, Lynn Gilmartin, Travis McMahon, Rachel Kim Cross and many, many more. Plus, it's got a really like grungy 90s Aussie soundtrack. Um, so cinemas are back open, you know, open again here in Melbs. Um, so get on your bike and cycle over to your closest cinema and join us with a chock top in hand for our first film. You have a very special nature. One we've worked hard together to unlock. 
The results are normal. Anything you want to flag? No. No, I'm fine. Mom! Hi, darling. How was your trip? Dull. Extraordinarily dull. Possessor is the second feature-length film from Brandon Cronenberg, a Canadian director and screenwriter, and yes, the son of body horror royalty David Cronenberg. Uh, Possessor stars Andrea Riseberg as Tasia Boss, an elite corporate assassin who uses special brain implant tech to possess people's bodies in order to terminate high-profile targets. But when a battle-weary Tasia agrees to another contract under the guidance of her boss, an exceptional Jennifer Jason Lee, her haunted mind starts to compromise the assignment. Paul, did Brandon Cronenberg's possessor get under your skin or leave you cold? Ah, nice. Um... <laughs> I thought that was terrible, but thank you. <laughs> It, look, I've um, only had one coffee today. It's the best I could do. <laughs> uh, it, look, it didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't catch it like antiviral. But um, <laughs> his first film. But yeah, it's interesting. I I was a huge fan of of Brandon's first film, Antiviral, from 2012. Um, it was like almost one of my top. It's like my number eleven film of that year or something. Um, and I really loved the way that he sort of you know connected this sort of this body horror idea to to issues that were happening in terms of celebrity culture and celebrity obsession and and um and social media and things like that as well and people wanting a literally wanting a piece of you know um the people they admire so it's been a long wait it's been eight years to get get to possessor Mm. and it's very it's interesting because it's more of a straight up in a lot of ways it's more of a straight up genre film than antiviral it's there's it's brain bending as you'd expect but it's also really gnarly uh there are some there is there's some real look away moments um, (laughs) involving yeah yeah, in the mouth of sean bean um it's yeah uh and it's sort of this you know this sort of assassin plot but it also is quite uh you know and it, it deals with matters existential as well um I um right the the cast I mean Andrea Riseborough is one of those terrific one of those actors and and she looks oh, different to everything she's in she does all, doesn't she and, I was like who is that and it's yeah and <laughs> between Mandy and Oblivion and this and Nancy and whatever else and I love that she does so much genre work yeah and she's really forging out a career in the genre space which is awesome because she could be doing all the English period films she wanted if if she wanted to she's got that look. Yeah, but instead she's committed to these kind of nervy, effed up, you know, kind of festival favorite genre mm. movies. And more power she's to a, her. Yeah, she's actually becoming, I think, one of my favorite actors at the moment. Mm. I'm just like everything she's in. I'm like, oh, I just love watching her on screen. She's got a great face. Like, she's yeah. terrific. And somebody else who fill who fills all of the who ticks all of those boxes you just mentioned as well, Flick, is Christopher Rabbit. Who is also in this? Yes. Um, Sorry, I had a mind blank on the name. Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> like Christopher Rabbit yeah. is someone now. It's yeah. like if he's in it, I'm watching it. Like he's one of those. There's just something about both his performances, but also the the material he's attracted to, like Riseboro. Like they mm-hmm. they're just always in interesting stuff. Um, he uh, Abbott was of course in one of my favorite films of last year, a film called Piercing. Um, but uh, yeah, in this, they're both brilliant. 
and Sean Bean shows up as well as a world-class prick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did have a moment which happens in, I watched so many Sean Bean films when I was growing up that I'm just like, feel like I see his face sometimes and be on screen for a second. I'll be like, oh my God, Sean Bean. <laughs> it's just like instantly identifiable to me. <laughs> like, like a family member. It's yeah, like, oh, it's Uncle totally. Sean. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. And I, and the film is consistently exciting and engaging. And, you know, it's, it's got this whole sort of assassin thing. It's hyper-violent murders. And why stab someone when you can stab them 47 times? <laughs> why stab them once? Um, and jolts of striking imagery, particularly the bits where they're uh, kind of fighting for control inside Chris Abbott's head. Mm. Um, there's these great kind of layered images that almost look like something out of a Peter Strickland film. Mm. Um, and I really, really dug it. Um, when it's, I, I feel like it gets, it sort of feels like reasonably not standard, but it feels like kind of like a thoughtful genre movie until the towards the end. And it's interesting that I, I feel like in the end, like I, I think this, the film is a parable that provokes thoughts about body autonomy but also our lives and and things like data being used against us. Mm. Um, there's a lot of that really great subtext. Yeah, apparently I feel there. like I read this and I don't know where I read it, but something about it being inspired somewhat by Edwin Snowden's um, situation with like the the mapping of, of people's personal lives through basically monitoring through them through. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I can yeah. see that being, being I true. I read it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's exactly yeah. what I first thought of when... When one particular scene came up, I won't ruin it for anyone, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean that whole thing of taking over your body and then using mm. that against you and then and then jumping out and having you be, you know, left holding the bag is very much that kind of stealing someone's di- identity theft, essentially, yeah, is, is yeah. what it is. So it's uh it it really it taps on that stuff really well. But the thing that interested me and doesn't really sort of begin to seep into the film deeply until till later is it's a kind of a poignant character study of a woman losing what little is left of her humanity. Yeah. And that's that sort of over overseen by the Jennifer Jason Lee character, someone else mm-hmm. who's extraordinary and in this. Um, I will say though that when the film ended though, I did feel this weird emptiness. And it felt like I don't know, it was like Was it like fe- someone was leaving your body in the Maybe, yeah. <laughs> and I just wanted to shoot myself in the head. No. <laughs> um, but there was this sort of um it was like some aspects didn't quite match up or pay off. Like it was something like all the bits are here, but the sum of it just isn't hitting me the way it should. And I don't know whether it's another viewing would cure that. Um, whether you sort of know what to look for and 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 sort of you know, pick it all out um and, and see all the links. Because I suspect there's more layers and links that a re- repeat viewing will reveal. But um, one thing, but overall, yeah, I really dug this film. And one thing is for damn sure, Brandon and David Cronenberg never, ever, ever have to take a DNA test. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I don't, yeah. yeah, that was exactly what I was sort of like, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, he, he's, his dad must be really proud. I really, I really, I really like this movie. I haven't actually seen Antiviral. No, oh wow! Oh, I get want on it to now. Yeah, I will. I will love because it. yeah, I really love this. So I kind of I didn't have that expectation, I guess, going into this. And like you were saying, Paul, that lead performances in this—they're both so bloody good. Um, I think it's it's interesting to play with this futuristic technology, which it looks as though it is something that could be 
possible, you know, in the future, which, you know, is quite petrifying if we look at something, you know, that kind of where we we don't have control over ourselves and what you were saying, Flick, as well with the data, it does seem pretty likely that's what's inspired this film. But, um, I yeah, I really, I felt compelled the entire time. I thought what they did with, you know, a science fiction film working in the constraints of budget that they had was really incredible, especially with the gore effects as well. Like there is, um, I don't think I've talked to anybody about this film without the violence coming up in it. It is a really violent film. I saw this really um, interesting interview with Brandon Cronenberg with him talking about that and why he made that decision. And he was saying that, when he watches a film that's, say, PG and there's 200 people being killed and there's hardly any blood and all this sort of stuff, he said he finds that really horrific. That's mm. not how violence is and mm. that's not how the world is. If you're going to show violence, you should show it for all its its ugliness. And um, he was talking about the particular... The entire film isn't violent. There are particular scenes which are incredibly violent. Um, and he was saying the reason why he has picked that is because of the psychology of the characters at that point and that's kind of why that shapes and yeah. shifts there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he felt like it was really important to to have that real sort of visceral reaction because that's what the characters were going through. That, that makes complete sense to me as well. Like yep. I don't, I mean, I know there's a lot of um, talk about how violent it is, but that um, I don't think it seems, particularly in the scenes that it does appear, um, it doesn't seem like it's, I love, yeah, I'm just glad that you, you brought out that quote from him because I think that really speaks to him. Yeah. Maybe like the ethics around violence on screen. I think that too. And I was, and it was interesting, uh, I saw that that interview today. Um, I mean, we'll talk about te- Tenet later. <laughs> but um Watching that, I, I had the, those kind of thoughts where it's mm. like, oh, you know, this um, this feels unrealistic. This this violence in this film, but you know, we'll chat about that a, a bit later on. But yeah, I thought it was very interesting. And watching it, it doesn't seem gratuitous when you're watching the film. It feels like it's necessary and it needs to be there. Um, but yeah, I think this is a really incredible film, especially with what they were able to achieve within this kind of limited budget and the performances are so, so incredible that, yeah, I loved it. Really, yeah. really loved this one. Me too, Sal. Mm. I was, um, yeah, I think that this one for me, I actually saw it with a friend of mine who um, I think was quite upset by the violence in it and I felt terrible. I felt like some <laughs> sleaze bag that had lured her into this film. And They're not going to be allowed to have sleepovers at your house yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're Sally Christie is who you are. Sally Christie is a kid. Because I I loved the violence in this. I thought it was shocking and I thought it was so well executed, um, literally. Um, Yeah, I I thought it was exceptional. I really, really got into this. I love that. I was thinking about this whole like the difficulty of being a filmmaker when your dad is David Cronenberg (laughs) and kind of also going back into that space and what, what, you know, the comparisons that are going to be made and how you kind of really define yourself as an Mm -hmm. artist. And I think what's so interesting about Brandon is that he – has returned to this site of the, you know, the horrific body and the body being this like site of, of tension but also of, of being um, possessed, of being like infected in some way. And he doesn't take it, you know, for Cronenberg, for, sorry, I would just call him David and Brandon. For David, the the horror is in the, the body itself. But I think that for Brandon it's actually the mind and how the mind is then 
um, the relationship between the mind and the body. And I think that's mm-hmm. really perhaps more my thing. I mean, I love body horror films. I'm a big fan of those. And I, I really love David Cronenberg, um, you know, and again, the violence in like History of Violence, Eastern Promises, exceptional scenes. <laughs> so I was glad to see that it was passed down to his son. But, yeah, this film really, I think for me, the emotional um, anchoring of having Andrea Riseborough as um, this this assassin who's kind of really affected by the violence she's enacted and goes, instead of it being something that she shies away from, she actually becomes this more violent machine. And I not yes. only loved that they really played around with this as a female character and also her boss as, uh, I mean, I absolutely love um the whole the casting in this in this film, but Jennifer Jason Leigh is again one of my favorite actors. So I loved the pairing of those two women. These two women discussing how violence will be kind of um, executed in these in these scenarios, but then it also being a site of trauma of of kind of what mm. what the mind does and in kind of that breaking away of connection and, and family, the family unit, which is such a transgressive role for a female character. I think mm. um, I just love I really love this film yeah, and I feel guilty sort of telling encouraging people to watch it because I think a lot of people will be particularly upset and um if you've got a dental appointment or something like that don't <laughs> I, I did a, I did a couple of one. gasps watching this which is like I know something's effective I'm like <laughs> yeah totally I I have that thing of being like absolutely shocked and then being like oh my god how amazing yeah. <laughs> that was cool Just, yeah I'm a big fan so look if um you would also like to check out uh Braden Cronenberg's Possessor it's currently showing at selected cinemas you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You're tuned into Primal Screen on Triple R with Paul Anthony Nelson, Sally Christie, and myself, Flick Ford. As people, we're a work in progress. Who we are, it extends beyond ourselves to the connections between all of us. In David Byrne's American Utopia, Spike Lee documents a 2019 Broadway show by the former Talking Heads frontman. Based on David Byrne's album and tour of the same name, American Utopia was a concert theatre dance installation that opened on Broadway at Hudson Theatre in 2019. In Spike Lee's film documentation, we are granted up-close access to this beautifully orchestrated performance that searches for a common humanity in a world marked by police brutality, racial profiling, and an apathetic disengagement with political reform. I'm pretty sure I was the only idiot to miss out on a ticket to David Byrne's Australian tour in 2018, Um, a performance that friends of mine have referred to as the best experience of their life and a transformative (laughs) and transcendental experience. Um, gig. Um, so, Sal, were you among the the blessed Melbournians? Unlike you, Flick, I'm oh, so out of it. I'm so <laughs> spewing about it. This film um, was, was it this? Was it American Utopia that he's doing, or was it just a concert tour? I think it was um, just a concert tour. Yeah, it was just a concert okay. tour. But um, I had so many friends who were just like, "Yeah, that was the best thing I've ever seen in my life." And I'm like, "Great, I'm so glad I missed out." <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like in primary school, though, like the episode of the show you missed is always the best episode yeah, ever. So- <laughs> so, you know, don't believe the hype. 
<laughs> he's just he's so so delightful David Byrne like he's contagiously delightful I think it's really funny how we have these like 70s punk icons like David Byrne and Nick Cave and people like that who um yeah were they these you know these punks in the 70s who are now these cultural icons and they're held up so high and they're cherished <laughs> um and rightfully so they deserve to be but yeah I, I love that kind of where they've come from and where they are now that you know David Byrne started at CBGB's and now he has a Broadway show and everybody loves him which I think is fantastic um this like I said it was completely delightful I think it's hard to watch this and not feel joy he is so charismatic and such an incredible performer his voice is still so beautiful um and Spike Lee's direction on it was really great too I think that often when we see something that is a stage show that is filmed just you know for cinemas or whatever it doesn't translate that well and Lee's done a really incredible job at capturing that and I think the thing that worked well worked really well for me was um he allowed us to see the importance of each band member and yeah. their contribution and how they made that a whole, which David Byrne does too in parts. But um, Lee focusing in on them, I think, really kind of got that sense of unity that David Byrne was looking for. Um, I had this really big contrasting thing when I was watching this. I think it was last time he toured here I went to see Kanye West and it was at Rod Laver and it was just Kanye West on a stage all night being Kanye West. <laughs> no one else. And I was like, okay, yeah, he must have backing tracks or whatever. It's fine. And then after his encore, at his encore, he dropped this curtain that was at the back of Rod Laver and he had a full live band that he had (laughs) covered by curtain the entire time. And I was just horrified. I was like, oh my God, that is those poor people. Like they get to be, you know, on this tour with Kanye West and he covers them up with a curtain. So he's the only one seen. And I've never, I just thought it was so horrific to do this to these artists and (laughs) seeing David Burt doing, fostering such an opposite was really beautiful. I I love I love that you bring up Kanye West as like a contrast to David Byrne because I think that one of the things that stood out to me was like the fact that this is kind of like a response to like Trumpian. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, Kanye West who was recently kind of like, well, a while ago, kind of you know cancelled because of his like support of Trump so it's kind of like it's fascinating just to see these two cultural icons on very different sides Uh, yeah it's totally totally crazy but this yeah a a lot of people um yeah this is getting a lot of hype and I think rightfully so it's really beautiful the simplicity of this is really beautiful of the set design um their costuming the bare feet everything and yeah the the artists in this are absolutely phenomenal and yeah like I said it's it's so delightful I loved it yeah I kept wondering I hope that stage is clean how clean do you have to make that stage get along in the barefoot they all have dirty feet at the end yeah they yeah um it's funny it's like yeah uh geez I wonder who's gonna like embrace their band and who's gonna hide their band the guy with the MAGA hat or the guy without the MAGA (laughs) I know (laughs) bloody Kanye um yeah this film you know what Something I, I the the uh, the the film social media app Letterbox taught me. I don't really watch concert films. I might have seen five concert films in my entire life. I just don't do them. There's there's something about I don't know. I'm just not drawn to them. 
um, there's nothing, nothing beats being there. You know, like yeah, I feel like um, I, you know, I've I've seen. I was thinking, I've seen the last waltz. I'm not a, I'm not a philistine. Then it's like I haven't seen stop making sense. So maybe I am a philistine. <laughs> um, like most people, I like David Byrne well enough. Um, David Ehrlich, the film critic, described him as. Art Rock's Mr. Rogers, which I thought was a perfect expression. Yes, isn't he? A yeah. perfect description. <laughs> that is true. Um, it's and, and so watching him sort of put on this stirring, spirited, sometimes whimsical, always kind of always impassioned show about where America finds itself nowadays and urging his adopted nation to find a kinder, gentler, more inclusive, more curious and open-hearted way forward. It's a good time. Um at the same time, it doesn't shy away from America's problems. Um, there's a there's one particularly poignant reminder, um, which is pr- one of my favourite moments in the film, um, which is when they cover the Janelle Monet protest song. Um, and but at times, um, yeah, and I, I love the fact that it was so stripped back. And Spike Lee shows us it gets a it gets a real dimension there with some of the overhead shots and and as well, like you say, spotlighting certain members of the band. At times, it was a little too whimsical for me. It was a little too twee. But mm. then other times, it really, you know, it really ramped up. Um, I thought Burns' uh, dialogues to the audience were really lovely and often thought-provoking. Um, and it's beautifully choreographed and, um, and you know, and I think the, the message of stripping the stagecraft back to nothing but humans is kind of pure genius when the whole show is about we are all we have. You know, like we need to, our focus needs to be on one another and our sustainable future. And I thought that was really great. Mm. But yeah, like there are, there are a few times like, you know, it's, it, it's just me with music. Like if it's something I haven't, I don't know that well, I'm not that into it. So I begin to tune yeah. out a bit. But um, that time I forced you to do a special on music docker. Exactly. <laughs> I, I was laughing about that the other day. I was thinking about that when um, Paul sneakily did a film docker that had music at the start of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't really do music movies. Um <laughs> There's a couple, there's a handful of great examples, of course, but yeah, I generally don't. But but this is one of the better ones, and I like, you know, I like that so much of it was drum based, like it was really, it was almost tribal, and mm. and really stirring. And in a, and in a cinema, yeah, this is particularly like really That's gets. Why, to yeah. To oh, sorry. Point. Continue. Uh, no, no. Um, oh, I was but, just going to say with the cinema space, mm. wh- which cinema did you see it at? Did you? Uh, have a good... uh, no, I, I'm, 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 I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Oh, I watched, yeah. I watched the screen up. Yeah. I, I say that only because I had a, a not great uh, um, Sonic oh. <laughs> set up at the theatre. I think they just had a little issue with the sound. So it's one of those things where uh, something so central to music. Wow. Is. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I've gone there many times and um, they've always been great. So just a one-off um but yeah I was just thinking about it when you were saying before that so much of that is like if you see it you know what could be better than seeing that performance live mm. and I was like sometimes if the sound system's really fantastic in the cinema it is you can kind of almost recreate that mm. yeah because because I, I watched it on the screener with headphones and yeah. I was thinking, yeah in a cinema like a in a big sort of you know a Hoyt's extreme screen or a Astor or something this would be really stirring but yeah um but it's a good time yeah and you can't help but leave with a smile on your face and david burns post concert look cycling off is everything yeah, no. with his little helmet that looks yeah. like a cap and yes. the, the puffy jacket so he's, adorable. Like, 
he's like the icon of cycling. He has his um he has his book when when it came out like two thousand nine, I think it was Bicycle Diaries. Um, All he's right. just talking about him cycling around. He's a really huge proponent of like you know you should cycle more and um yeah yeah it's a great book. I got it from a friend of mine and um yeah I I love cycling as well. So I feel this connection to David Byrne for that reason. I'm sure, would get along really well. Um, <laughs> I um I I kind of agree with you what you were saying before, Paul, about this idea of like you know the concert film and like you know what could you'd pro- almost like how does it how does it possibly recreate I think one of the positives of the concert film is that you you get this close-up and maybe I'm saying that as a short person who often has the stage obscured but I I think that having the close-up and I I was sort of um sort of surprised by Lee's direction actually in this film because I was so excited when I heard about this pairing. Um, I was just like, I wonder what he's going to do. And I was like, you know, they're both quite politically engaged Mm. artists. I was just like really curious about this collaboration. But I actually think that this, um, and this is um, a bit of a criticism, I suppose, but mainly because it was what my expectation was. I was really hoping to see a kind of more of a conversation between these two men. And I felt like it really was a David Byrne performance, which is Yeah, totally- Lee kind of stands out of the way. He really it? does. He's yeah. so removed. And for a, ca- for a director who's usually so kind of um, brash in his um, artistic design, I was actually really surprised that he didn't go for something, um, I don't know, more, more kind of, he didn't. Um, have more of a presence in the film. It yeah, was only it's, through the content, really. And it's maybe interesting the that um that you say that flick because when I was watching it, my partner said to me, "Is this going to say a Spike Lee joint at the end? Because it doesn't really feel like one." Yeah, and mm. um yeah. Does anyone know what their relationship is? Spike Lee's and David Burns, if they no, I'm no. not sure. The only thing I can think of is like obviously they're both very involved in politics and have become like of course Spike Lee has is always like been really involved and um, David Byrne more like as his career has mm-hmm. gone on has become increasingly political. So that's the only thing I can think of. I mean. I think it's a really interesting pairing and I think that yeah. it makes sense for the content of this documentary um, or this performance, sorry. And I, I really love how David Byrne kind of straight away acknowledges that he's like a man of a certain age, like a white man of a certain age covering Janelle Monet. But I just, yeah. I love that he just sort of acknowledges it and is just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell this story. And, uh, and he called I, yeah. her up and asked permission and yeah. said, you know, is it cool if a guy like me does this, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot in this, um, in this performance that I think, you know, you can hold on to and to um yeah I think this I heard somewhere like someone was just like he's kind of got this cult leader-esque vibe <laughs> I was yeah, like, does. yeah I, feel, I would I join it. his cult I would totally join his cult so would I Sal yeah and if you'd like to join David Byrne's cult uh American <laughs> Utopia directed by Spike Lee is currently screening at all major and independent cinemas you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R Triple R You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Paul Anthony Nelson and myself, Flick Ford. It's now time to make a quick dash to the candy bar for that second beer and maybe some more popcorn and join us for our third and final film of the night. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm getting here. No. Something worse. He can communicate with the future. Time travel. No. 
Delayed three times due to the global pandemic, Christopher Nolan's Tenet was released in the UK in August this year and then US in September and is now finally screening here in Australia. Heralded as the blockbuster that would save cinema theatres in these unprecedented times and during a time of widespread global lockdowns, it's one of the most highly anticipated films of 2020. It stars John David Washington as the protagonist. Really, that's his name. Um, a man who is tasked with the mission to save the world by journeying through a twilight world of international espionage. It also features Robert Pattinson as his handler, Elizabeth Debicki as a glamorous art appraiser, and the stalwarts of British cinema, Michael Caine and Kenneth Branagh. Paul... Do we live in a twilight world and why are there no friends at dusk? <laughs> Just one word unlocks everything. Tenet. Um, I feel like I'm going to be the tired film bro here and like be totally one out, but I enjoyed the hell out of this. Um, I am a bit of an easy mark for Nolan though. It's, it's something I've long said that he's the one, he's one of the few filmmakers nowadays that can do epic. Like his films actually like there's a lot of Marvel movies that cost two hundred million dollars, and you can, and you say, well, ninety percent of that was created by a computer. Like, you know, you spend one hundred and seventy million on one hundred million on render farms and a hundred million on movie stars, and that's that. Well, Nolan's films all have this great tactility and this heft to them, um, which is down then- to. Oh, that- sorry, you mean like the whole thing of him like crashing an actual 747? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> crashing an actual, actual 747, <laughs> flipping an actual truck. Uh, um, yeah, and although it deals, like i got to say, although it deals with time instead of dreams or memories, Tenet feels very much like Nolan marrying the kind of sci-fi espionage of, the, the kind of sci-fi espionage daring do of Inception with the Bass Ackwards questioning a perception of Memento. Like it feels very much like a, one part Inception, one part Mento, smash them together, you get Tenet. Um, as well as he's constantly auditioning for James Bond, it seems. like like It's like he's, uh, he's directing around James Bond films and will probably be doing it for the rest of his career. Um, it's like, he, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, everyone's in three-piece suits and everyone's kind of a bit slicker than thou. And, and it's, I, th- I feel like this film is... It does, but it, but as well as that sort of Inception Miss Memento, it has the novel conceit of time moving forward and backward for our characters at once. Um, it's as physically impressive as anything he's done, particularly in the, the fight scenes. There are back-and-forth fight scenes in this film that had my jaw dropped. Like, I don't know how the hell these were choreographed. Like, how do you direct this? Like, it just seemed What's baffling. That? Wasn't What's it that? interesting? Oh, I was going to say, wasn't it interesting with, like, we were talking about choreography a few weeks ago and just, like, I think after that discussion, I've been even paying a closer attention to it and just the thing of, like, how did that work? Like, yeah. what was the training that was, like, because it would go so against your nature and it's almost, it's more like a dance, really. In those Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And having to move backwards while the other person's moving forwards, but you have to defend, but you're attacking. Like, it's just, yeah, it boggles my mind how they did it. Um, and it walk, you know, it, it. but the funny thing is it walks and talks like a classic espionage film. Like, it feels very british Cold War mm. espionage film, but with this sort of mad sci-fi conceit. The I I will freely admit the muddy sound mix is maddening. 
Like it's it's like I don't know why why he made this decision. Like he's because he's kind of sort of semi-famous for getting characters in masks and having them be unintelligible. This is a film where everybody <laughs> seems kind of like it's like this, but it's like the sound, the dialogue tracks are mixed into the background noise. Like I yeah. don't know what like that. the you know, deal is. And I want to see it. Oh, sorry. It reminded me of Night of Cups. Like, who heard a single bit of dialogue in Night of Cups? I was just feeling like everyone mumbles in that film. <laughs> it's <laughs> um, maybe Christian gave him some notes. Yeah, um, it's but yeah, it's this sort of. But it's also it's funny. Um, yeah, I, I really want to see it with subtitles because it's super loud. Like the film is like mega loud, but it's also muddy. Um, but the thing is, it, it's such an intriguing experiment in how little information an audience actually needs to walk away from a film satisfied. Because there's character arcs in this that I actually found, like, I actually found Washington and Pattinson terrific. And I love their dynamics throughout the film. And I actually found their ending really poignant. Um, I loved the, the, you know, the, the Debecky, uh, Debecky, um, uh, Branner, kind of the way that comes to a close. So it's all of this sort of stuff, and and it's almost like it gives you just enough information to kind of know the, what you need to know, and everything else is detail, and you can dig in there if you want to. I actually think it's a reasonably straightforward story. It's just the specifics of it are, you know, it, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of subterfuge and hand waving for something that's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, I f- I know a lot of I know Branner's been getting a lot of shit for this film, but I actually found him surprisingly unnerving. I really I liked him. He was one of my favourite things about it, to be honest. Yeah, I yeah. really really liked his performance. Um, mm. I think Ludwig Göransson does his best Hans Zimmer imitation. I was shocked when it wasn't Hans Zimmer doing the score. <laughs> um, and yeah, what we catch of the story, I think, hangs together surprisingly well. Um, but yeah, I think. This was a good ADR mix away from being like a slam dunk for me. Um, I really, really had a blast. And again, being it was probably a little bit of the emotion of going back to a cinema as well and seeing this big and loud, you know, for the first time in nine months. It felt like this is a cinema movie, but yeah. Um, it's funny you saying about how loud this film is, and it is really loud. And obviously, you know, not being to cinemas, not being to gigs, all this kind of stuff. When I came home from this, my ears were really loud. <laughs> You're out of training, oh out of practice. Oh my God, my ears are ringing. Um, I really struggle with Nolan's films in general. Um, I find them, and of course there is, there is a place for th- movies to take themselves really seriously but I think his films take themselves really seriously and that's something that I kind of I I feel for me as a viewer a disconnect that I I don't get this connection with his films um I did enjoy I would say the first maybe hour and a half of this and then I felt like I really checked out uh the performances in it I think they were all really really great but I feel like they didn't have a whole lot to work with. I kind of really feel the opposite to you, Paul, kind of with uh, the character arcs there. I didn't feel satisfied coming away from it and, you know, not knowing more about these characters. Um, I I would have liked to have seen more of that. Um, So, yeah, that was kind of, that, that made me sort of switch off 
after a point to the point where I was like, I really want to leave the cinema and feel really <laughs> like movie now. I, I just, I, I can't focus for another hour. But um, it, it is really impressive and I'm really glad that I did see it at a cinema. Um, but, yeah, I just, I really, I really struggled with it, to be honest. You needed a like, little, um, you needed, what was it, a temporal pincer movement? Or? I did. <laughs> but I find it really interesting that we're looking at both this and Possessor this week when they're incredibly different films. Um, they're both science fiction films, mm-hmm. but looking at this, for me personally, not for everybody, um, with Possessor, with that sort of constraints and that they would have had budget-wise and, you know, kind of getting creative and creating this small science fiction world, for me, worked superbly whereas this where we have Nolan who has this sort of seamlessly unlimited budget and can do everything that he wants to it just it was just like oh I'm not interested I'm not interested yeah I completely agree with you Sal Mm. like with the budget and I did think of Possessor as well like as a great little like contrast with this um I feel like they're playing I feel like games. I'm, I feel yeah. like they're different. I feel like they're different players. I think it's yeah, 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 yeah. they are. They're to- I'm just totally, to- totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This kind of science, yeah, fiction, yeah. Um, these worlds that you know, and they both involve the agents and things. Yeah, yeah like they yeah. have that sort of. Yeah. I really didn't like this film, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I would go as far. You know, can I just specify though? I didn't. Think I didn't like it, but I did enjoy the experience of not liking it, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I really so it was like think, a, a fun hate watch? Is yeah, that what, it yeah, really yeah, was. Yeah. Okay. I think <laughs> the, the standout for me was the dialogue was too, I just thought I was not on board with the dialogue. I can't believe it took him five years to write. Um, and so. I don't think the dialogue is what took five years. <laughs> <laughs> I think the structure took four years. Well, it, months. Well, yeah. The dialogue but took just, a holiday. In- yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a little wind-up call from Carl. So basically, I, look, I just wanted to say that um, I, yeah, look, this is, no, I wasn't a fan. I didn't believe okay, the the whole, the protagonist, his whole uh, decisions that he makes in this film is based on this apparent uh, close romantic uh, draw between him and this um, art appraiser. And I was just didn't believe a second of their relationship. I mean, I didn't even think, yeah. I actually thought it was a twist. I was like, well, obviously they don't have anything in chemistry. So there's not, there's, a, there's another layer. It's going to be another twist because that couldn't be what's happening in this film. I just found it um, really heavy handed. I felt like Robert Pattinson's character was, meant to be a kind of stand-in for Christopher Nolan, like his glamorised view. He looked so much like a kind of dreamlike version of Christopher Nolan that I just felt like a real, like, projection project. Um, I just really did like this film. But I also, kind of similar to you, Paul, I really loved the scenes in it. So I was just, like, so into those movements when they're moving backwards and um, the, the choreography of it was exceptional. I was just, like, really into that. I don't think a lot of the scenes made sense in a logical sense. And I know that there's that quote about like, well, I don't have a master's in physics, so maybe that's where I'm going wrong. I also feel like there was a moment when they're like, literally the scientist says, um, 
oh, she explains it and then straight away is like, uh, it's better if you, you know, you, if you think about it too much, it doesn't make sense. I feel like that is true of, of Tenet. Um, having said that, I know our, our producer, Carl Chapman, is a massive fan. In fact, I can look, I can see him right now shaking his head at me. But so I think one of the things might have been where I saw it. So I do know that IMAX is doing a 1570 um, film pro- um, projection of this. So that's like obviously a much larger projected image and means you get a far superior image quality. So, you know, maybe I just need to see it on a bigger, bigger screen. Uh, so if you want to see Tenet, um, we've got a lot of different views on this, uh, directed by Christopher Nolan. It's now screening at all major cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Paul Anthony Nelson, Sally Christie and myself, Flick Ford. We finally served up some fresh new releases to celebrate the reopening of cinemas here in Melbourne. We started with Brandon Cronenberg's sci-fi assassin thriller Possessor, then danced over to New York for David Byrne's American Utopia, directed by Spike Lee. And finished off with a uh, controversial um, mixed opinion of uh, Christopher Nolan's hotly anticipated film, Tenet. All three films are currently showing at a cinema near you. You can also subscribe to Primal Screen via um, iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, we've got special guest host Emma Westwood filling in for Paul and we've got hot new, more hot new releases coming your way and a very, very special interview. A big thank you to Tyler Daglish for editing the Primal Screen podcast over the last few weeks while Morty has been away. We really appreciate your help. Uh, Morty is back on the team now that she's submitted her thesis. A huge congrats for getting that done, Morty. And thanks as always to Carl Chapman. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 